Welcome back to the Unbiased Fan Podcast. In today's episode, we're wrapping up everything from Sunday's football games. We're talking which teams saved their seasons, which teams are already starting to plan for their offseason. And we're going to take a deep dive into the NFC and figure out who are really the top teams in that conference. All of that and plenty more. Don't go anywhere. So we are unofficially halfway done with the regular season. Week eight is done and in the books. It's always kind of a bittersweet moment as the season isn't necessarily starting to slow down, but it's starting to dawn on everyone, myself included, that football doesn't last forever. But we had some big moments. A lot of good stuff happened. A lot of teams really showed up to save their seasons. They, They realized in the week, in practice that their their football season was on the line that they lost came out played poorly came out and lost that their season was done that there was no hope for any kind of postseason run and they would just have to kind of pack it in not necessarily intentionally lose like you see in baseball but really they it was a do or die for a lot of teams here and the first team I want to talk about uh, that, that really showed up to save their season is the Denver Broncos so Denver, we all know they played in the early London game. And, and first off, I hate London games or any game in, that's going to be in Europe. I know we have one game in Germany this year, which is just nuts to me. I think it's stupid, but we're, we're not going to get sidetracked into that. That could be for a whole another episode on things I hate in the NFL. We're not going to go into that. We're going to stay focused on what happened on the field. So the Broncos, they needed a win to save their season. Simple, straightforward. There, there's no way around it. And, and in fact, if you look at it, both teams in London really needed a win to save their season. The Jacksonville Jaguars and Denver Broncos both came into Sunday's game with their seasons just hanging on by a thread. I mean, each team was just two and five. And it was very disappointing when you look at that two and five record compared to what a lot of people think they, they should be where they should be record-wise compared to where they actually are. And this is this game is a classic loser-leaves-town game. Whoever loses, they're, they're just done. Now, first, before we talk about Denver, I do want to talk about Jacksonville, which I haven't really talked much about on this podcast, so shout-out to all you Jacksonville Jaguar fans who might be listening. No one had major expectations for this young squad. No one really thought they were going to be great. But a lot of people, myself included, had Jacksonville as kind of this dark horse AFC South champion favorite potential. Like, like you could kind of see it going. And, and part of that is because that division is just notoriously weak, just terribly, terribly weak. We Houston has just been just this absolute dumpster fire. I've had a hard time believing in the Colts, and I figured Tennessee would take a big step backwards this year. You Mirror that to Jacksonville, who has all of this talent on this team. They fix their head coaching position. They have a quarterback who should be a true number one, a true, like, just top-tier quarterback. And a lot of people were like, hey, you know what? Jacksonville could be sneaky good. They could go, like, 9-8, and eight, win a really crappy division, and not make any noise in the playoffs, but at least have kind of a moment where they show up and say, Hey, look, we're, we're not where we want to be, but we're heading in the right direction. I think we're a year away from that. 
I think we're a year away from the team being at that point because this team is so incredibly young and most importantly, inexperienced. Like they have a lot of young players on the team. They're also really inexperienced. They don't have a whole lot of, of, of like crunch time game moments where they've come out on top. We have to look at what they at last year for their whole their whole situation with Urban Meyer, who is the worst head coaching hire in the history of football. He was so bad that this season just feels like trying to fix all the damage that he caused, all of the bad things that were instilled into that program, fixing the culture of that program. So you kind of have to give him a, a pass anyways. And that's why I'm not ready to give up on Trevor Lawrence. I, I, I'm just, I'm not going to give up on, on Trevor Lawrence. He has moments where he looks really good. And then he has moments where he looks really, really bad. He, he just does that. That's, that's where it is. He, it, we have to kind of treat this as his rookie season because he, he had the worst, literally the worst coach in the history of the national football league has to be urban Meyer for just how, for the, the expectations that urban Meyer had, the level of control that he had, the performance, both on and off the field, the culture that was developed, the attitude, it was it was terrible. It was just embarrassing. And you have to look at here for this season, moving on to this season. We're gonna that's the last we're gonna talk about Urban Meyer. We're not gonna go back there anymore. Jacksonville this year had come in, it felt like they blew a lead in every single game. They just can't. They can't hold on to the ball. They play very, very poorly in the second and the fourth quarters. They turn the ball over a lot, and they turn the ball over in the worst possible moments. Just playing sloppy, sloppy football. Don't want to harp on the, the mistakes that the offense made for Jacksonville Jaguars. Like I said, this is a young team. They're growing pains. This is what you expect for a very young team that's starting to, to build a new culture and, and kind of move forward and kind of ascend. But also with that, the Denver Broncos defense is really freaking good. Let, let's just be real here. There's there's no way around it. This is the Denver Broncos defense is a squad that that just wreaks havoc everywhere. And they they wrecked havoc on the Jacksonville Jaguars offense. Jacksonville had 133 yards of passing. I mean, that's like stuff you'd expect in like 1971. And that would still be subpar. Lawrence struggled. However, Jacksonville's running game was really good. They had 191 yards of of, of uh, offense on the on the ground, averaging six yards a carry. As uh, Etienne finally had his kind of his breakout game, he was able to score a touchdown. He had big moments there. I feel like this dude is going to be really special if he can be more consistent and, and not fumble, drop the ball, things like that. I feel like this guy has all the potential in the world. He just needs to to get that consistency down because there are moments where he was running the ball on Sunday where he looked like a top-tier running back. He looked like a complete stud. And I want to believe in him because he was fun to watch. But Denver's defense continues to prove that they are a unit that can be a difference maker in the postseason. That if, if Denver were by some miracle to make the playoffs. This is a defense that will make a, a game ugly. It'll muck it up. It'll slow it down. It'll make life for the opposing team a living hell. However, the question with Denver is for this season, and 
and obviously going back further years, but we're, we're only going to talk about this year for Denver. The question has been about their offense and, and just how, how can an offense be so abysmal when you have a quarterback that many people think should be, you know, one of the top 10 quarterbacks in the league. Now, Denver improved. They looked a lot better, but they didn't look perfect. In fact, they looked far from it. They got the win. They won 21-17, and it seemed like for Denver, they were able to get some momentum going with the offense. The Russell Wilson was able to kind of get a groove. He was kind of able to get a feel for the game, a feel for his teammates, and that's great because he had been taking – an unheard of amount of criticism that the criticism's warranted. I mean, everything with it is warranted, but it's, it felt like it was piling on. Like we had never really seen for a, against a quarterback who before this season had received universal acclaim. It was really interesting how it just flipped so, so quick. Um, but you look at, at his stats, they weren't great. 18 for 30, 252 yards, of passing one touchdown, one interception, not great. I'd say it's below average, but it's not bad. It's not awful. They scored 21 points and it's not just about the box score. When you watch this team play, when you watch Russell Wilson, throw the ball, it's about what they did when, when the Denver Broncos looked good, what was going on? That's what this game was all about. And anytime Russell Wilson could extend a play, could use his legs to move outside of the pocket to, again, extend a play, he ran quite a bit too for first downs. All of those things is when Denver started to look good. Anytime I've watched the Broncos play this season, which has been a lot because they've been on primetime a whole bunch this season, the only time they've looked good on offense is when number three is extending plays with his legs keeping the defense honest, making them think about him running, making them think about him scrambling, about moving around. When that pressure is on the defense, the offense looks surprisingly pretty decent. They look above average at the worst. The thing that sucks for Denver is Russell Wilson wants to be a pure pocket passer. For some reason, I think he wants to be like a Drew Brees kind of a player where he's a shorter player, focuses on accuracy, but but he's not. He's not Drew Brees. He he doesn't have the vision, the patience, or the accuracy to, to be a pure pocket passer. Instead, Russell Wilson thrives when a play starts to break down and he can engineer some sort of magic. It's the classic let Russ Cook saying. I'm not saying he needs to be uh, like Kyler Murray and play backyard football. It's far from it. I don't want Russell Wilson running around like that. But with, with Wilson... He can go, set his feet, and if the throw's there, if the, you know, if the route's there, he can make the throw. But if it's not, he can extend it, he can move, he can get better vision, and that's where all the damage that he can do really, really comes from. So Denver saved their season. I mean, I still think it's tech, it's over. The Denver is not going to make the playoffs, that they're going to be a disappointment. But by winning, they're technically alive. They have some momentum. If Denver had lost, their season would be officially over. Like they're already hitting the panic button, regardless of if they win or lost. But if they if they lose to Jacksonville in London, 
season's over. There's there's no way they can make up that much ground in a tough conference and a tough division with with a, a fairly tough schedule moving forward. But there's hope. And again, if they had lost to Jacksonville, you have a long flight back from London and the fact that Denver is going into their bye week this upcoming week. So if they lose, Nathaniel Hackett is probably fired. Because if you're if the Denver Broncos are going to fire Hackett midway through the season, you're going to do it during a bye week. It just makes all the sense in the world that you fire him Monday after the game. You were able to find your coach, give him more time to kind of figure out what the interim coach to get a playbook, figure out what he wants to do. Everyone gets rested. They have a chance to kind of let the the news settle that they have a new head coach and then a full week of practice right after after your bye week. But they won. They're still technically alive. And I think Denver is going to probably end up with seven wins at best. And it's going to be a massive, massive disappointing season. Another team that that saved their season was the New Orleans Saints, a team that we really haven't discussed very much on this podcast this season. But that they came in at two and five. And really, if you look at their losses, some of them are bad. Some of them are more turnover based. They you could make the argument that they should be they should have more wins or more losses. It really goes both ways. It's how strange the Saints season has been. But because they're in the the NFC South, they're still in this divisional race. They are right there with every other team. No team is eliminated from the NFC South. That's just how bad it is. So the Saints and the Raiders met in New Orleans for another loser leave town game. Both teams had just two wins on the season. The Raiders came in at two and four. They've already had their bye week. And if you look at this, uh, both of these teams, both have been underperforming. You could say both are, are disappointing, but which team has been the bigger disappointment? Well, for me, it, this is easy. It's it's the Vegas Raiders. They they made the postseason last year. They almost beat Cincinnati, and there was some some weird officiating that really could have kept them alive in that game. And maybe they upset the Bengals. They I mean Cincinnati barely beat the Raiders, and the Bengals went on to the Super Bowl. So the Raiders have to be feeling really good in the off season, or were feeling really good rather about what they were doing. They made a huge uh, splash in the offseason by getting Devonte Adams and a lot of people, not me, but a lot of people were thinking that the Las Vegas Raiders could challenge for that AFC West uh, divisional title. Well, that ain't happening. I think we can all agree that the Raiders are not winning the AFC West and they are most likely not going to make the playoffs. Instead on Sunday, the Saints started to look like what many Saints fan, and, and I'll be transparent here, I'm, I've grown up a Saints fan my whole life. They look like what Saints fans had expected the Saints to be this year. Do I expect it to be shutouts? No, but I expected them to kind of look and play this way. The, the best thing that happened on Sunday was Alvin Kamara kind of returned to life, returned to form. He had a massive game. He had three touchdowns. Um, the defense shut down the Raiders. It held Devonta Adams to just one catch for three yards. I mean, that that's really, really impressive. 
The running game was solid. They were able to move the ball for both big plays and in between the tackles, which the Saints have really struggled with. They protected the football. Andy Dalton looked really good as as their quarterback. I don't love him as a long-term fit. I like him way better than Jameis Winston as the starter. The Saints need to figure out their their uh, their quarterback situation. But they have good receivers. Chris Olave, the receiver that they drafted in the first round, is a stud. He's absolutely fantastic. And the defense just, they looked really good. They put a lot of pressure on the Raiders, and they shut them out. Dennis Allen, who's the, the first-year coach uh, in New Orleans, we know he coached the Raiders years and years ago and has an abysmal record, but he has been the defensive coordinator for the Saints for a number of years and had really engineered the Saints defense to be really, really good. Now, before Dennis Allen came along, the Saints defense was notoriously awful. During Drew Brees' uh, prime years, the defense was not very good after the, the Bounty Gate scandal. Dennis Allen was able to come in fix all that, and the defense has been the, one of the strengths of the team. Except for this year, they've given up a lot of points. They fixed all of that, and they they had a strong win. Now, I don't think the Saints can make a serious run here, even if they somehow win the division. If they do make the playoffs, they're going to be overmatched. They are, are, they are battling a ton of injuries at key positions, at wide receiver in their secondary and in their offensive line, and they have a tough schedule. But with all that being said, the NFC South is wide open. The Falcons are 4-4 are four and four and leading the division. And really, <laughs> as someone who roots for a team in the NFC South, can I just point out how, how hilarious it is that the, Fal- the ending for the Falcons-Panthers game, just how funny that was. I'm watching the tail end of the game. It, it cut, you know, my feet. My game ended uh, on Fox and it switched over to the very end of the Panthers Falcons and I see the 60 yard touchdown pass. It's like a 62 yard touchdown pass to to DJ Moore. And I'm watching it downstairs and I'm just yelling. I'm hollering because it was such an amazing throw, such an amazing catch. It just came out of nowhere. It was just a home run I wasn't expecting. I'm I'm excited just because not just because I hate the Falcons, but because it was a fun play. It was a cool play to watch. There's 12 seconds left, and I'm thinking, wow, the Carolina Panthers are going to be in first place in the NFC South because it would tie the game up. The the touchdown tied the game, and an extra point gives them a win with 12 seconds left. Like It's it's super easy that the Panthers are going to, because of tiebreakers, are going to be in first place in the NFC South. And I thought, (laughs) last week I was saying that the Panthers were the worst team in the entire NFL. But then DJ Moore took off his helmet as he celebrated the touchdown. And that's just a big no-no. You you can't do that. The refs have done a great job of letting players celebrate touchdowns, celebrate turnovers. Growing up, you know, when I was in high school and I was younger, any kind of celebration would warrant a flag. And I felt like the refs were just trying to take the fun out of the game. I really like how players are able to celebrate now. But everyone knows you can't take off your helmet to celebrate. You just can't. Easiest flag in the world. Easiest flag in the world. And that extra point went uh, from a gimme to being almost 50 yards. And I, I knew it. I said, when, when it missed, it's going to put all this extra pressure on the kicker. They just had this huge high from the touchdown and now this low of the, the penalty. And he missed it. He, he pushed it. And then the Panthers 
would lose in overtime. And that just makes me just makes me laugh because the the Panthers would have won the game if Moore just kept his helmet on. It's just it's just funny. It's it's just crazy. The Raiders need to take a long look in the mirror, long, long look in the mirror, and just try and figure out where their season went wrong because they have plenty of talent. They got better at wide receiver. They have a quarterback that they have a ton of faith in, and they're sitting here at 2-5. and five. Definitely a disappointment. Definitely not where they wanted to be, especially, again, considering they were, they were in the playoffs last year and almost beat the Bengals, who went on to win the AFC uh, championship. They're a cross-off team for me. They're two and five. They're done. They have a tough schedule left, and I just I don't see it. If you can't beat the Saints when your season is on the line and you get shut out to a team that's been underperforming, you're done. You're done. Uh, next, I want to talk about the NFC. And it's obvious that the NFC is our inferior conference. It, the AFC is definitely better. It's, defi- it's definitely the deeper conference. But with all that being said, there are some really, really good teams in the NFC. And everyone knows that the Eagles are the best team in the conference. Some people are going to say the best team in, in all of the National Football League. I'm going to say they're the best team in the NFC. And man, did they look like it on Sunday, didn't they? Like, they just look fantastic. It was the game that was on my TV uh, for the regional uh, broadcast or whatever. And it was it was exciting. Jalen Hurts was was a stud. He looked absolutely fantastic. Those three touchdown passes to A.J. Brown were, were jaw-dropping. Just jaw-dropping. I'm watching the game, and each of those throws, each of those deep throws are going. The ball's in the air. It's sailing through the air, and it just drops perfectly right into Brown's hands. And I was just, I was yelling at how ridiculous each of those touchdowns were. It was, they came out of nowhere, dropped right into the bread basket. It was perfect. The defense played fantastic. They had a strong running game. The Eagles are, are the real deal. They are definitely the class of the NFC. I have them as the, the third best team in the league, which is pretty good considering the, for me, the Bills and the Chiefs are just very, very, very good teams. They are top tier, and and Philly is right there with them. But what about the rest of the NFC? Like who's who's the second best team in in that conference? Well, well, we know it's not Green Bay. We know it's not Tampa Bay. <laughs> Those teams are on life support as we speak. San Francisco is kind of a lot of people's knee jerk reaction to who's the next, who's the other best team. In the NFC, and, and that's a very good point. But and if the, the the San Francisco 49ers have a ton of injuries and a very limited quarterback in Jimmy G, he, he it's just what it is. It, it's he's limited, and it's hard to say that they're the second best team in the conference when you have a ton of injuries and a quarterback that you don't trust. Now, if the 49ers were fully healthy. Would I say they're second best? Uh, probably, especially with Christian McCaffrey being added and him looking like an absolute stud in, in San Francisco. But injuries are a part of the game. They're a big factor in you know determining how good a team is. It's not just on paper. This isn't a, a video game where you can turn uh, off the injuries. So who's the second best team? Is it is it Minnesota? 
you know, because they only have one loss on the year to, and it was to Philadelphia. They, they look pretty good. For me, it's the Dallas Cowboys. I'm surprised just as much as you are that I'm saying that Dallas Cowboys are the second best team in the NFC. But you look at it, and it, it for me, it just makes sense. I, now, I thought coming into this season, I had no faith in the Dallas Cowboys. I thought they would take a big step back. I didn't like their offseason. I felt like they they didn't make any improvements to the team. And I figured best case scenario, they're eight or nine wins. And that's best case scenario. Probably if I were, if I were a betting man, I probably would have bet them to make to get like seven wins. Then you add in the fact that Dak Prescott gets hurt in week one. And they look like complete garbage against the Tampa Bay Buccaneers in week one. And you're thinking this, this season is over. Dak's going to be out for at least, you know, five games or so. They're, they're not going to be able to win a single game. That was my reaction after, after the injury to Prescott. And instead, well, they proved everybody wrong. They proved me wrong. And one thing that, that I take pride in when it comes to uh, football, or to, to sports takes in general I'm going to admit when I was wrong. And I was wrong about the Dallas Cowboys. They have a dominant defense, a terrifying defense, and an offense that can take advantage of a great defense. They can score. They can manage the game. And the impressive thing for me, the, the reason why I put them as the second-best team was this week, going up against the Bears, who, are, who have a good defense, Dak was able to look comfortable. He was able to look like he was in rhythm. He looked like he was he had gotten a lot of the rust off from sitting for so long. And it felt like he was kind of back. And so not only do you have a defense that can cause turnovers, force turnovers, put pressure on the quarterback, and be stifling, but now you have an offense that is really strong in, in the two the two phases of the game. They have a great running game with, with uh, Tony Pollard, who was fantastic on Sunday. Ezekiel Elliott is your other running back, so you have a fantastic running game, which does so much for your offense because it keeps the other team, their other team's offense, on the sideline. It milks, it milks the clock, and it brings in more people into the box. The linebackers are going to slowly start to come down. The safeties are going to start to come down. And when they do that, they run a play-action pass, and the passing game is just wide open. And with Dak being healthy now, as opposed to with Cooper Rush, who was very limited, but he did good as a backup quarterback. Like, there's no complaints. But now with Dak Prescott, the Cowboys can get points in a hurry. That's what I saw on Sunday against the Bears, is now that Dallas can go... And when they need to, they can score points and score points in a hurry. They're not just going to dink and dunk and kind of grind their way to points. What, what we were seeing with Cooper Rush, they can get points. This is a team that has plenty of talent. They have electric players. And, and most notably is, is Micah Parsons. He is the best team, best player on that team. He is everywhere. He is scary. He is fantastic, and he is so fun to watch. So the Cowboys are the second-best team in the NFC. You look at they lost to the Eagles with a backup quarterback 
in a game that turned out to be pretty close. And then the week one loss, we can just kind of wipe that one out because week one, there's always those weird games, those fluky games in week one. And I feel like Dallas is a com- and Tampa Bay are both completely different teams to what we saw in, in week one. This team is firing on all all cylinders. Hell, Mike McCarthy, the head coach, is even looking like he's showing signs of life. I mean, these guys are good. They have they have everything going for them, and I think they are the second best team in the NFC. Now, I do want to wrap up today's episode with the two teams I just talk about every single week. So, uh, apologies if you're getting bored. Apologies if you're a fan of these teams. But we're going to talk about Tampa Bay and Green Bay. First, I want to talk about Tampa Bay. I know they've played on Thursday night, so it's kind of old news. But but to me, the Buccaneers look like a lost team. They have talent. They just seem to be confused. They seem lost. And they seem like they're playing like a group of players instead of playing like a team. And that's the thing that's so confusing for me when trying to figure out what's wrong with Tampa Bay. Because we know... The defense has a ton of injuries. We'll talk about that in a minute. We know the offensive line has injuries. We know that they've struggled to run the ball. We know the play calling has been really bad, especially in the running game. But there's something else that's missing. When you watch them play, you have all of those bits of information. And it's like, yeah, I get that. But there's something else that that's just not, doesn't feel like, doesn't feel right with Tampa Bay. It doesn't feel like everything I just listed doesn't equate to why Tampa Bay is so bad. That's not the answer. That's not the full answer for why Tampa Bay is so bad. And for me, when I dive deep into into what's wrong with them and, and their level of confusion and their being lost as a team, you you have to look at Tom Brady. One thing that's been so confusing for me this season for Tampa Bay has been the quality of play of Tom Brady. Now, he's the GOAT. I'm not going to argue about Tom Brady where he stands. He's the greatest football player of all time as far as quarterbacks go. But this season, these games that he's played, his level of focus and commitment are, are bad. I mean, I'm really starting to doubt his level of commitment, commitment. You, you can argue like Tom Brady's incredibly talented, but you c- could argue, and I would argue, that Tom Brady's biggest strength, the thing that sets him apart from every other quarterback, from all of his peers, is his commitment to the game. This this dude has every minute of every day planned to a T. He he just does. He has everything like laser focused for what he's gonna do. He has intense levels of film study, intense levels of preparation for the games. The, the way he can be, he is so focused that he elevates everyone around him. He's always been the guy that elevates the play of his teammates to a higher level. He makes everyone better around him. And, and this season, we just haven't seen it. We haven't seen it one bit. Instead, he looks like a bitter old guy that doesn't want to be there. He just, that's what he looks like. The level of focus on this team as a whole has dropped, and it's dropped significantly, and it's dropped a ton by Tom Brady. Now, like I said, the play calling on offense is bad. The defense has some really, really bad injuries. They're down 
already a whole bunch of members in their secondary. They lost Shaq Barrett to an apparent Achilles injury, and it sounds like that's going to end his season. And with Achilles injuries, that could very well end his career. And that's just, that's awful. He's one of the best players on the team. So for the reason, so the reason why Buccaneers lost is their defense allowed a ton of running yards on Thursday night to Baltimore. But I still don't think it's game over for this team. Now, part of that is the fact they're in the NFC South. They're in the, the worst division in football, but I think they can still right the ship. If we can get some good play calling, some good run calling, get some team-oriented play, and have some Brady magic sprinkled in here, I think they can win this awful division. I'm just, I'm not a Tom Brady fan. Anyone who knows me knows that I'm not a fan of him, but I can't rule him out until I see it. And I have to see it over a whole season because he's proved me wrong so many times. You have to remember his first year in Tampa, the first half of the season, they were not a good team. It wasn't until they hit their bye at the end of the year they came out looking strong and like a juggernaut that went on to win the Super Bowl. It's not over. And surprisingly, I don't think it's over for the Green Bay Packers. Now, this is the team I bring up every single episode. They've just been such a hot topic when you think about how the expectations for the Packers are and how they just keep keep playing poorly. They're on a four-game losing streak, and they lost Sunday night on Sunday Night Football in Buffalo, and the final score was 27-17. However, the last touchdown was scored with minimal time left on the clock. The game was much... It was never felt like a 10-point game. It felt like Buffalo was ahead for most of the game, and it was almost like... I don't want to say it was straight-up garbage time points, but it kind of was. I mean, the line for the game was 10 and a half, and Green Bay just got a, you know, a touchdown towards the end of the game to cover. With all that being said, I'm feeling better about the Packers today than I have in any of, of their other losses this season. I'm feeling way better about Green Bay's play. I think the last time I felt good about Green Bay, Green Bay was after they beat the Buccaneers in a really, really ugly game because the Packers started to show some signs of life. I'm not a Packers fan. But if I was, I would start to feel optimistic. Why? I'll tell you why. They ran the football. It's not rocket science. It's nothing that's huge or, or crazy, but they ran the football. The Packers decided to finally play to their strengths because we know the Packers don't have good wide receivers. We know they're very thin at receiver, but they have two absolute studs at running back. And they ran the ball really well. They decided to focus on that. Aaron Jones was a monster. He had 20 carries for 143 yards. Think about that. 20 carries, 143 yards. He was able to kind of grind some some short yarded situations to keep the chains moving to convert uh you know into first downs. But he also had some long runs that really fueled the Packers offense. You add in AJ Dillon, their other back, he had 10 carries for 54 yards. That's really good. That's five and a half yards a carry. You can just see that the Packers were able to move the ball really well. They averaged 6.7 yards per carry. It allowed the passing game to kind of develop. You can use more play action. Again, the safeties and the linebackers are going to come down into the box, and it's going to open up the passing game. Whereas in previous weeks, especially last week against Washington, Green Bay 
just didn't run the ball there. There, I don't remember the number of carries. I think they had like 13 carries, something like their, their carries were in the low teens. If you're not going to run the ball much, defenses are just going to play the pass. And if you don't have good wide receivers, you're just going to be screwed. So green Bay figured we're going to run the ball. We're going to run the ball and we're going to figure out a way to, to win it. They kept Buffalo's offense on the sideline. They won the time of possession and, and it, it worked. Granted, they still lost and they lost big, but they showed some signs of life. I think it gives the Green Bay Packers a really good blueprint for what they need to do to save their season, to make the postseason. They need to run the ball, use play action, and the defense needs to play good. Was the defense good? Yeah, it was pretty good. How, I mean... Buffalo only had 27 points. They forced some turnovers. And I think they have, I don't like saying, I don't believe in uh, like a, a moral loss where a team loses a game, but they come out with like energy, like it's a good loss. But this loss was able to build momentum and build an identity for the Green Bay Packers heading into their game against Detroit where they should be able to win get some momentum and they have a tough schedule and maybe that that Detroit game is their actual fix it game and they could come out and look fine. That is going to wrap up our episode. We have another uh, episode dropping off later in the week. We're going to be looking at the uh, contenders and pretenders in the national football league as we are at the halfway mark in the season. Please. Uh, if you enjoyed this content, Follow me, give me a rating, give me a review. It'll really help the show grow. And we will see you next time on the Unbiased Fan Podcast.